Well, thank you. I really appreciate that, that bumper there. And just sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about this morning. We'll be talking into some of that tension that our country has, um, has experienced. Some of the social injustice and racial inequality. And I just really appreciate our, our panelists here today that are willing to just kind of share from their hearts, you know, how God's reconciled some of these things in their own lives. And so today with us today, we got Jeremy Polly in the middle here. Jeremy uh, is a manager of benefits, and he's been involved at Life or at East Point here for, for quite a while as small group uh, leader or, and uh, just does a tremendous job. I just really appreciate Jeremy and his, his heart for the Lord um, and his whole family as well. His, his wife, Rachel, his two sons, Elijah and Sam, are just a great uh, asset to our 180 youth group. I just love them. And then Izzy as well. We've got a great family. I appreciate you being on the panel this morning, Jeremy. Next to me is Alice Gardner. Alice is an administrative professional and a retired Army veteran. Uh, and she is involved in East Point here in a, lot of, in a number of ways. Uh, prayer teams and communion, uh, life group leader, hospitality, you name it. Alice has, has her hand in it, and it's always, always good. Um, her family, some of her family that are here today, she said, if, if you said all my family would be here all day, but Eddie, or her husband, and then Tori and Titus and Kendall as well are here this morning. Just appreciate their um, involvement. Uh, what a blessing they've been to my ministry and the youth ministry as well. And then uh, also Mark Hoffman. And Mark Hoffman is a vice president of a bank, but he's also a police officer. And uh, he's very involved at East Point in life groups, security ministry, and the greeting ministry. And he has a wife, uh, Deb, two grown adult children, and six granddaughters. And then finally this year, he got his grandson. Isn't that right, Mark? Finally. All right. All right. And so, um, yeah, girl, grandpa, now finally boy, grandpa as well. All right. So we appreciate your, uh, your willingness to come on. Just share your heart uh, this morning. We pray that you hear, hear that. And today our intention is, is this. We, we pray this is a conversation that's enlightening, that's encouraging, that it's God-honoring, that we uphold the standards of God's word. And most importantly, today we hope that we bring unity. We bring understanding to believers, you know, everywhere, including our community and to our church community. And as a church, we believe and we proclaim that God is active in, in all areas of life, social, economic, and, and even, even political. We believe God preserves creation and orders society and promotes justice in a, in a broken world. Faith that's active in love that is seeking justice is the single unified vocation of the church. And God continually pulls us into a world that is diverse, that is different than us. And we believe that's a beautiful thing, that's a good thing, that's God-created diversity, but Satan has used diversity and differences for far too long to divide and distract and destroy. Satan's used differences to divide his people, to divide the church, to divide countries. He's used differences to distract us from seeing and celebrating all the good in people. And he's definitely used it to destroy God's plan in many times for our lives, in the church's lives, and even in our country. 
And here's why we're here. Proverbs 24 says this. It says, if you do nothing in a difficult time, your strength is limited. Rescue those being taken off to death and save those stumbling towards slaughter. And if you say, but we didn't know about this, won't he who weighs hearts consider it? Won't he who protects your life know? Won't he repay a person according to his work? And Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And we don't want to be the church where people have to say, I wish our church would speak in to that. And I know that there's a possibility that we offend this morning. It's a highly sensitive subject, but it's something that we need to talk about. We need understanding. We need unification, and that's our intention. We want to bring life, and we want to bring encouragement into this subject, and we definitely don't want to do nothing. We feel that God wants his church to step out boldly with his message, with his message of love. And just, to, just so that you know, just so you know that as God's creation, you have purpose. As God's church, you are valued in love. And as God's people, you have a responsibility to stand up for what is right and what is good. And so today, I, I pray for our panelists. I pray that you hear their hearts and hear how God is speaking into their lives. But I also pray for each one of our listeners today that you hear God's message and you hear God's heart on this. And I love what Mike had to say, how Jesus brings us together. Jesus brings unification. And today we want to celebrate our differences and bring unity in so that we can reach this world for Jesus Christ together. God hates division. If there's one place where there should be unification, it should definitely be the church. And so I know that for me and I know for these guys that we're going to fight for our brother and we're going to fight for our sister, no matter their color, their ethnicity, their cultural background, their chosen profession, or even their calling. Got their back. We want to be there for them, and I know that God does this as well. And so today we pray that it's encouraging and unifying. And I don't know if anyone would want to just speak into that as well, that purpose today. All right. Well, we'll get right into it here. I, I think that we just want to set the stage here. I think that we've all, all experienced bias in our life. And to our African-American panelists, I think that you probably could say that you've experienced racism firsthand. Each one of you would say that. And I don't know if either of you would want to just speak into, you know, maybe a, an instance and what that's looked like for you. Thank you, Andre. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes. There we go. Uh, man, this guy's got a great heart for the Lord. And, uh, you know, in the church eldership to, to really tackle this issue head on, that says a lot about the caliber of leadership that we have. Um, let me just talk a little bit about racism and how it's impacted me both directly and indirectly throughout my life. Um, my parents, uh, my mother was white, my, my father was African American. They were an interracial couple uh, in the early 70s. It was uh, uncommon uh, at that point in time. And my grandparents had a very, very, very uh, big challenge with that. Uh, they did not talk to my parents for almost five to seven years. Uh, so uh, my sister and I came along, and, and God used that as an opportunity to change their hearts and to really open their eyes and educated them to some of the challenges and also just supporting my mom and dad through that. Um, 
as a young kid, uh, you know, growing up in a small town, you know, I experienced racism, you know, being called, you know, derogatory terms. But I want to make sure that I emphasize the fact that this was, you know, a very minor part of my life. More of my experiences in that small town were positive. Uh, we, I did not have a situation where, you know, that was on a day-to-day -day basis. It was very minimized. Um, moving into the corporate world, I worked for a private sector company, and we were at an event sponsored by one of our vendors. And uh, there's probably, you know, two or three hundred people in, at a dinner. And, you know, this was in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And there was a, a very racially insensitive uh, joke that just totally de de denigrated uh, me and other African Americans in that room. Uh, I've seen it firsthand and I've seen it indirectly, but it is out there. I, and, and say what we want to establish that this is still an issue and it's still sad and it still hurts. And we want to get past that. And Mark, you're on the panel here. Um, not that you couldn't experience racism or inequality, Mark, uh, but you're on this panel because you're part of the police force, and, and the police force has taken quite a hit. There's been a lot of negativity, um, a lot of backlash. It's very controversial to be, a, to be a police officer at this time. How have you experienced some of that backlash uh, between you and some of your uh, fellow police officers? Maybe you just want to share, just speak into that and, during and recent events. First, I'll say that most men and women that get into policing get into it as a calling, a calling to help, serve, and protect others. They, they see it as more of a mission, yeah. a mission field for them to do good. Uh, with the recent uh, social media and news that has come out, does have an impact, but it's an impact on their ability to serve. Mm -hmm. It's people become mistrusting. Yeah. They, uh, or they back away and shy away from help that could be offered to them. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that there are not officers that are bad officers. You might as well say bad officers yeah. out there. But I will say that the people that hate bad officers are good officers. They, they want the ability to help people, not to hinder or not to oppress any individual. Amen. And what I heard is, is you say that, hey, I got into this to serve and to help people. And that's hopefully at the forefront of what comes out. Uh, but there are, you know, I also heard, you know, say there are bad officers out there that have hurt uh, the honor of the, the badge. And, and those hurt uh, the reputation uh, and some of the things that you've gone through. And so we appreciate your willingness to step out as a police officer and do what you do and do it well. Um, Allison, Jeremy, um, it seems like in a lot, of way, a lot of ways we've come a long ways from the Jim Crow laws and segregation, but we're definitely reminded that we also have a long way to go. And I want you to just speak into what's holding this country back from experiencing that dream that Martin Luther King Jr. had whenever he said, I have a dream that one day my kids will be judged not by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Well, Audre, one thing that we have to understand that is that racism is, is a taught dislike for someone based on an ignorance toward a person, based on ideas that have been passed down from generation to generation. 
These, are, these false ideas are further portrayed in the news, the media, TV, movies, and other things that we see on a day-to-day basis. And especially if you live in a small town like Jeremy grew up in, sometimes those things that you see on TV are the only ideas or the only knowledge you have of a certain group of people. And um, so that's some of the reason why we haven't been able to come any further because so many times African-Americans are portrayed as gangsters and thugs and bad people. And you know, even um, low-income Caucasian people are portrayed as you know, hillbilly, two teeth in their mouth. And this is what you see on TV and even the news media. If you look, a lot of times when you see um, interviews, they go and pick the worst person they can pick. You, you know, you, you, you see uh, they'll get some, uh, an African-American person who doesn't speak proper English, or they'll find a, um, a, a person, lower income um, Caucasian person who represents the Caucasian race in a negative way. And these are the stereotypes that are portrayed by the media by, again, movies and the things that we see. Um, and so this is what people come to believe. My daughter is into um, learning about Asian culture, and a lot of them, what they know about the African-American community is what they see in movies. And so they have a dislike for the African-American community because they don't know any positive uh, light. And so this is some of the big reason to me why we have not gotten any further because what people see on their TVs, on their media, in the news, in different um, sources. And well, and, and what I hear you saying is, get to, know the, get to know somebody of different color, different race. You know, build relationship and then make a judgment right there. You know, don't just listen to, to, to this lie or that lie. Make sure that you get to know one another before you start to make judgment. Jeremy, you want to speak into that same thing? What's holding this country back from that dream that Martin Luther King Jr. had? Yeah, I'm going to piggyback a little bit on what Alice said. Um, there's miseducation, uh, fear, ignorance, um, and this, this attitude is sort of passed down from generation to generation and really understanding people just at a sort of a personal human level as opposed to a stereotype depicted in, in media. And I think that's an excellent point, Alice, is what we see and a lot of people believe that is true and it's just not the case. Um, I also think that the church has a role in this. And uh, I think it's funny, uh, this church, I was with, out with uh, Parfait and Kelly on Friday and we, we both had the same thought. You could see that on Sunday morning, some of the most segregated places in North America is the church. You know, this church is unique, and it's, it's not been a lot of church. It's not always the case. There's a concerted effort to reach out to people of other cultures and include them in this church. Um, they really carry the message of being one in Christ, and, and it's, it's very proud to be a part of this church in that respect because that is just not the case across the nation. I, I pray that for East Point. It's, it's been a blessing to be in a diverse church that reflects their community, but also, I believe, reflects that kingdom of God. And so I just want you to speak into that a little bit. How is, 
how has your faith kind of reconciled some of these recent events and um, how you, your identity in Christ and God's word helped you navigate some of these issues? And maybe, Jeremy, if you'd want to go, go first there. Sure. Um, I think one of the scriptures that really resonates with me, and I want to read it right, so I'm going to read off my phone, um, is Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In a highly polarized society, um, they're looking for you to take a side. Um, and, and that may be an unpopular opinion to be neutral. You know, as ambassadors of Christ, we're not called to take a side, but really adjudicate and mitigate that situation the way that Christ would want us to. Amen. And, and Alice, tell us some of, the, some of the ways that God has been working in your heart uh, through some of these issues that we've been dealing with. Um, over the last couple of years, God has really been um, opening my eyes to see um, racial issues from both sides. Um, like Jeremy, I grew up in a uh, mixed-race household. Both of my natural parents are black, but my stepmom is Caucasian and my parents have been married since 1979 so I grew up in a mixed house and um, but yet and still growing up a lot of the ideologies that I saw on TV and things took root in my mind and God has been opening my eyes to some of the um, words that I have said to my children that you know <coughs> And even in, in jest, you know, oh, black people be like this, white people be like this. But those ideas continue to take root when we continue to say them to our children. Um, and we, you know, we put those ideas in their head. God has been showing me different things, not only my ideas that I had towards people of a different race, but of even towards my own race. I had to take a... Um, a bias class at OSU and before we take the class we had to do a survey that Harvard created online and it's a very enlightening survey it's easy to find online um, but it's about racial bias and alarmingly when I finished the results said that I was racially biased towards black people and I was like how is that possible I'm black you know, I, I honestly thought it was going to come out because I'm a Christian and be like, oh, you're not racially biased towards anybody. You know, you love everyone. But it said that I'm racially biased towards black people. And I know that a lot of that is because they say I grew up in, in, in well neighborhoods. I didn't go. I never lived in what they would call the projects or the hood. And I went to predominantly white schools. I attended Bexley for several years. And so a lot of those ideas were stuck in my own head towards black people. And I know this, like, you know, I, I don't grab my purse when I see, you know, when I'm in the hood, but I know that those ideas are there. They're rooted in there. Even if I don't respond to them negatively, I know they're there. God has been opening my eyes to see that, you know, people always say, oh, racism is a one-way street. It's not. Racism can go in every direction. It can be against your own people. It can be against... Um, black against white, white against black, both against Hispanics, um, Nepali, you know, um, 
this area is extremely multicultural. This church, thank God, is multicultural, but this community is very multicultural. And we have to be careful living in this community to be to make sure that we as a church are the voice of Christ to every race. You know, we have a Somali extreme Somali population just behind us. And, you know, that was one of the reasons we started the English program was to reach out to the Somali community and open our doors to people who are not like us. You know, because God calls us to be not only open to other races, but to other religions. And the only way to get people to come to Christ is to be like Christ, to be a light, to shine. And you can't change people's heart with brooms and sticks, but with only with love. Amen. And, and I, I, I pray that for, for East Point, each one of us, that whoever we come in contact, that they feel that love of Jesus Christ. And I think you bring up a great point, Alice, about that we all, we all have biases. We can all fall prone to, to, to having bias, and we need to remember that we're all fearfully and wonderfully made, according to Psalm 139, and that God has a plan for each one of us, and that we're all his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and hopefully we see that. I love that, that point, that, um, that we need to uh, share that with, with others, that love of Jesus Christ with, with anyone. Did you want to go to speak into that? Yeah. Can I jump back to yep. Talk specifically to the polarization of society. You know, in Matthew 5, 5 9, God says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. Yeah. We are called to be peacemakers in our role today. We're not called to take a particular side, but to be makers of peace. And that's something that sort of resonated with me. I know there's been a lot of images and, and keystrokes flying around on social media that quickly evoke sort of a visceral reaction. But I think it's important at that time to really understand we're peacemakers. We're not taking a side. We're peacemakers in those situations. And I believe that kind of reaction will definitely flavor that situation. All right. As a peacemaker, Mark, I want you to jump back in here because I know that that's you know, been on your heart and been your calling to go into police work is to serve and protect and to bring peace. Um, just speak into a little bit about what that means to be a Christ-honoring, Christ-following police officer and what that looks like for you. I, oh, thanks. <laughs> I th I th for me, to, it's not up to me to judge. Yeah. I mean, I am just the beginning part of, I'm there to enforce law. I'm not there to judge or be the jury or to render decisions of the outcome. I'm there to project Christ, even to those people that, you know, I have to incarcerate. Um, well, I don't do the incarceration when I take into custody. I... I I think that God has taught me to look beyond color, beyond what they wear, you know, how they act, to look into the heart of a person to make that determination. The people that aren't Christians, 
don't have the same reflection of the heart that Christ has. And you have to respect, you have to treat them like any other person. It, they, I might be the only Christian they ever meet. I have to, in a uniform, even project more that I care, that uh, I respect them, that everyone makes mistakes. You know, they made a bad decision. People make bad decisions. Christians make bad decisions. You know, Christians sin. I mean, you have to get beyond the situation and treat the individual as if you would want, how you would want to be treated, how Christ would want them to be treated. In speaking to you this, this week, you talked about how you've even had opportunity to, to pray with people that, that you've had uh, conflict with. And um, it's, it's presented those, those opportunities to share Christ even in that way. And that, you know, know that this could be the turning point in their life because of, of what you're doing in the job that you're um, that you're upholding and that authority that you have. I know that my 13-year-old daughter um, just got a phone, and um, it's scary. Be praying for the Norman household. Be praying for my daughter Avery, 13 years old. Those teen years, and and I know that I know that through these years that I either she's got to just follow Jesus Christ and allow the Spirit to guide her, or I'm going to have to make up so many rules so that she doesn't mess up too bad. And I think in a lot of ways, that's where society is. We're just trying to make up rules so that we don't mess up too bad when what we really need is for the Spirit to allow the Spirit to guide and direct each one of our, our lives. And I think that would take a lot of the, the problems. And I want you guys to speak into that just a little bit. Maybe, Alice, you want to go first. Of how, what the church can do to kind of steer uh, this community, to steer this country in the right direction? What's the job, what's the role of the church? Well, one thing is when we talk about the church, we're talking about a body, the body of Christ. And the beautiful thing about the body is it's not just a bunch of arms, or a bunch of legs, or a bunch of heads, but there are different pieces and different parts of the body. And the body has different things and can do different pieces and different parts. We have um, lawyers in the church who can, you know, be a voice that when they, when people are finally saying, okay, what can we do for change? They can be that voice that speaks out for those that don't have a voice. They can be that lawyer, be that advocate that goes and talks to the, to the higher ups and say, hey, these are the changes that we believe would make things better. We have prayer warriors in the church, and you know we all know that prayer moves mountains despite how we feel. And so the church, if nothing else, we can pray. But we also, you know, we have you know those that know how to write letters, and they can get together and you know write letters to their congressmen and write letters to you know different people. We have social media. We have our youth that love to be on social media. And they can be a positive voice on social media to not say, to not to stand with one way or, or against another, but to speak love and to speak unity and to show the world that, you know, that our youth are not what they think they are, that they are positive young people. There are positive young people out there who love Christ and are about his work and not only love the 
um, the, the, the communities that are being rejected, but they also love the police officers and that they, that they have a respect for the police. I know yesterday when we were talking, Mark was talking about how we as a society have gotten away from respect, but I believe that most of our young people in this church do have a respect, not only for authority, but for uh, the police and for those that are in charge. And so they could get out and show that, you know, this is what young people should do. So we just have a lot of people and we have a big body and a big community of people. And we all have a purpose and a job to work together to make this world a better place. And so what you're saying is that my daughter can use her phone for good even. Yes. All right, all right. Well, hopefully she does that. And Jeremy, I want you to speak into that issue as well. Just what can the church do to, to take a stand against social injustice and, and bring healing to our community and land? I, I think the first thing is we got to take this to the Lord. These are complex matters that require an all-knowing God. Um, I can sit up here and give you, you know, some ideas, benchmarking, all that stuff, but I'm not going to do that because we need to go straight to the source. God has a specific design for each one of his churches and each one of the people that comprise his body. So I think we have to start there and go into God and ask him specifically, what is it that you want us to do? I think we start with fasting, prayer to do that. Um, secondly, I think if you just individually, if we live out the commandments of God in terms of loving the Lord our God with our heart, our, heart, our soul, and our mind, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, you're automatically, by default, going to have an impact on racial injustice and social inequality. You're going to automatically flavor the situation because you have the presence of God with you. You're Amen. carrying that into every situation. And if everyone did that in America, we'd live in a much better place. So I think you start there. And I think you look at, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. One of the most successful civil rights, I would say, activists ever in the 20th century. And, and what did he say? He said, you've got to put God at the forefront. And we have to, we have to behave and act as Christians in all ways. That came from him. He wasn't a, an insanely successful social activist. He was a minister. And he got his direction and preparation and action from God Almighty. The end result of that is the 1964 Civil Rights Act that have guarded how people interact from a law standpoint for those of a different race and color. And it was a peaceful movement. And guess where it started? It started from God. Amen. So we've got to take a step back in this situation and go to the Lord with prayer and fasting, allow his solution to work through us individually as a body to make an impact. Amen. I, I, I can't add anything more to that, Jeremy. Uh, I do want I, I to end in a couple of scriptures, but I really appreciate your words, uh, each one of you, and how you guys added um, just life and encouragement into, this, into this, these issues. And so I appreciate that. And I just wanted to end in Psalm 139. And, and David is speaking here, 
And, and he is, he's upset, he's angry, because there are people that hate God or are doing things against God's will, and he's like, God, we should hate them right back, right? We should, we should get them back for what they're doing. And then he says this in verses 23 and 24, he says, but search me, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if, and I think this is a prayer for each one of us, See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. And a lot of times we are so good at seeing difference. difference. And, and for each one of us, that's okay. We are all different. God's made us different for a reason, for a purpose. But Satan has used that difference to create a wedge between people and between him and God, even Adam and Eve in creation, they saw a difference between them and God. They wanted equality, and Satan jumped right in there and said, hey, if you eat of this fruit, if you break this one command that God has, then you'll be equal with God. And it created a, you know, just a snowball effect from there. Sin entered the world. And over time, Satan has definitely you know, taking our greatest strength of d difference and diversity. I know that God looks down and he sees people coming together of all races and of all tongues and all tribe and worshiping together. And he says, that's my kingdom right there. That is beautiful. That is good. But Satan has distorted that. And he's turned it into one of our greatest hurdles and hurts. And that's bigoted dissension. Bigoted dissension. And that lives in this country. And there's no doubt that that bigotry flies in the face of the gospel message of forgiveness and of love and of grace and of unity. And God hates division. And if there's change, I really believe, I really believe that it's going to start with Jesus Christ, with Jesus being number one in each one of our hearts and us looking inwardly. It is going to start with the church being the church and loving the neighbor. It's going to start with each one of us allowing God to examine our hearts. It's going to start with each one of us humbling ourselves, each one of us. And I just want to read this poem because this is kind of a reaction to Psalm 139 that a friend of mine from college wrote out. And I just, I'll, I'll end on this. And it says this. It says, start with me on my knees, on my heart, before I try to do my part. God, if you see any offensive way, may I learn to stay in a posture of submission on your mission. Rather than push my own agenda and spew my own opinion, may the words I say and the things I do be pleasing to you and honoring to those that have called me to, to love, to respect, to cherish and embrace every color, every nationality, voice, and race. In my disagreements, may everything I do be laced with love and dripped with grace, representing you in every place. Because where I go, you go. Where I speak, you speak. I do so on the one that keeps saving me. So search me, O oh God. I give you permission to call me out on the way that I have been acting. So cleanse me, rebuke me correct me and change me because I know this world needs a whole lot more of you and a whole lot less of me. I pray that this morning was encouraging and it just brought life and, and 
understanding as well. And I just really appreciate all of our panels. Can we give them a hand for the words that they shared today? Appreciate each one of you and uh, what you mean to this church, what you mean to God's kingdom. And I'm going to ask Jeremy if he would close us in a word of prayer today. Father, we just thank you so much that we could come together as a family and worship you. God, we pray that we leave these doors today with your direction in our lives. Lord, that we continue to develop a personal relationship outside these doors every single day. That we devote time to understand your will and direction for all of our lives. Father, we ask that you help us to be catalysts in this role to spread the gospel to be peacemakers in this world. Lord, we know that this is, we're living a short time here and we're ambassadors. This is not our, this is not our world. God, we, we pray that you continue to walk with us, put a hedge of protection around all of our families, Lord. Father, we just ask for your will for our lives, your perfect will. God, we love you and we thank you. We just praise you, God. There is none like you. You are perfect in all your ways. You are our strength. You are our hope. You are our determination, our perseverance in all that we do. God, whatever challenges the body faces individually or as a body, we pray that you're in it. We pray that you, stre that you strengthen us and provide hope in those matters. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.